0: You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com, May 28th, 2007, Episode 21, Buddhism is something that old folks do. In this episode, Gwen Bell interviews Brad Warner. Anyone that's had the chance to study with Brad Warner knows he's young, funny, and knowledgeable about the Dharma. Warner's new book, Sit Down and Shut Up, chronicles the life and times of Dogen, author of the Shoboginzo. The book simultaneously tracks Warner's own career as a punk rock bassist and zen teacher, weaving Dogen's story seamlessly with his own. With warmth and humor coming through in both the book and the interview, we get a chance to hear Warner talk about the book, the four points of the zen, being bored, and innate perfection. This is part one of a three-part series. If you enjoy Buddhist Geeks' podcasts, please consider supporting us through either a recurring monthly donation or a one-time donation in amount of your choice. To do so, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash donate. We thank you for your support.
1: If we can just dive right in here. Sure. The four points of Zazen Uh explanation according to Dogen is a little bit different. Perhaps then we hear, I mean, it's just kind of a fresh interpretation of what actually happens during Zazen. Can you maybe explain what the four points of Zazen are, um, according to okay. D- to Dogen? Or according
2: <laughs> to you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that's a, that's a totally embarrassing thing because I need my notes uh-huh. uh, to, to remember them.
1: Do you want me to help you what out?
2: I know the last one is Shikantaza. What, uh-huh. what is it? Okay.
1: Hishiryo, which is non-thinking. Hishio.
2: Yeah, non-thinking. Um, shikantaza.
1: Shoshin Taza, Tanza, which is uh, sitting upright, making the body, right? Uh Shinjin Datsuraku, dropping off... Body and mind. Yep. And Shikan Taza,
2: just sitting. Yeah. Uh, So uh, the first one is uh, non-consideration, which... uh, Hishiryo, which I keep hearing people saying, Hishirio consciousness and Mushirio consciousness, and I don't know where those words are coming from, but I keep hearing them. Um, it's just uh, as far as the mental side, it, it addresses the physical side, or sorry, the mental side, the physical side, the Uh, side, the point of view of action, when you're actually in the present moment doing something, and then reality. So uh, the first one is what you do mentally in zazen, which is non-thinking. But that doesn't mean uh, you have to enter some spooky, weird state of non-thought. It's just that you don't pay too much attention to your thinking. It doesn't really matter what you're thinking. It just goes on without your really guiding it anywhere. Um, And the second one is sitting upright, making the body right. That's what you do physically and that's just as important. Um, I sometimes hear about people doing forms of meditation and so on where they emphasize what you're doing with your mind but don't seem to care what you're doing with your body. Uh, you can be laying down, you can be slouching in these sort of meditation chairs, which sort of force you to slouch, uh, and so forth. But in uh, in Zen practice, the actual physical practice of sitting upright is just as important as what you do mentally. The, the third one is Shinjin Datsuraku, which is dropping off body and mind, which... Um, is one of those things that people stumble over a lot because they uh, that sounds kind of weird and mysterious. But it's not really weird and mysterious. When your your mental function and your physical function are even, you aren't aware of either one in particular. You're not focused on your physical body. You're not focused on your thoughts. You're just doing what you're doing. And zazen is that process whether you notice that that's what you're doing or not is kind of irrelevant and the last one is uh, shikantaza which is uh, just sitting so when you come right down to it it's just sitting it's that's what you're doing And, and it and whatever else you might think about it or perceive about it doesn't really matter all that much
1: just sitting is really boring, so why should we yeah. do that? Like, <laughs> Why just <Because>. sit? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You, you do it because it's boring. Uh, you do it to kind of learn the state of boredom. We're, we're all trying to escape from boredom, and we're all trying to find something exciting. That seems to be our uh, main drive in life for most of us. And when you really look at your life, most of your life isn't exciting things. You tend to, when you're playing back your memories in your mind, you tend to emphasize the exciting times over the boring times. But when you're actually paying attention to what's going on on a day-to-day basis, a minute-to-minute basis, it's pretty routine, it's pretty boring. And there's very little excitement, which means that you're kind of missing most of your life if you're focused only on... What's exciting and what's amazing and and wonderful. But what happens as you do the process for a while is that you start to notice that um, these kind of peaks and valleys aren't real. Your, Your real situation is kind of in the middle. And everything then becomes exciting, or if not to say exciting, very, very real and interesting not boring at all
1: so Dogen wanted to um ask the question uh which is why he went to china according to how you recount the tale um mm-hmm. if we're already perfect why do we need all this buddhist practice to understand that so yeah. how does Dogen answer the question how do you answer it
2: he went to china he studied in the uh, rinzai tradition which involves having enlightenment experiences and so on, and he wasn't satisfied with any of the experiences that he had. But the original question, um, as in the way that he posed it, came from the Tendai way of expressing Buddhism, which is a fairly common way of expressing Buddhism, which is that we're all innately perfect. So we don't realize uh, our own innate perfection and he ended up traveling to china to try to understand uh what what this perfection was um and it was a um a very dangerous trip uh to go to china people died all the time on trips like that the seas were stormy there wasn't medicine there wasn't help if you got stuck and so on uh... but he made the trip and he made it back and he lived to tell the tale so he did he did a pretty big thing but i don't know that it's always necessary to do a big thing not to criticize Dogan. i think it was necessary for him Uh, But to realize what your real life is can be much more direct than that. People think they want to go off and and do something incredible and have an adventure and then they'll understand their life. But I don't uh, agree with that outlook. It's more about looking at your day-to-day existence. Have I strayed too far from the question Mm-mm. at this point?
1: No, that's I, I totally follow. However, you okay. did you did have a, a kind of adventure too. Um, yeah. You kind of went looking for adventure, did you not?
2: A bit. Uh, my but my initial uh, reason for going because I went to Japan, and it wasn't really to have an adventure. It was more. Uh, because my uh, uh, economic situation was so bad in Ohio that uh, that I needed a job, and uh, I found a job in Japan. Um, I'd always wanted to go to Japan, and when I was a, a little kid, we'd traveled uh a lot of places my family did uh... we lived in nairobi in, in in kenya for three years and then we traveled extensively back and forth because the company my dad worked for firestone and they had this home leave thing uh... and they would uh, allow their employees to to take trips back home every six months or something like that and my dad wasn't so interested in going back to ohio what he wanted to do was was see the world and show his kids the world so we would go other places uh in europe and so forth so the idea of going because i'd had that experience as a kid the idea of going to japan didn't seem quite as big a leap as i think it might to somebody who didn't have that experience it was just a place to go to have a job and i was very interested in in japan but um and it was a bit of an adventure. But once, once you get to a place and start to live there, uh, as you probably know from, from having done it, it the, the adventure side of it wears off, um, often quite a bit quicker than you expect it to. And then you're just down to, how do I live in this place? And it becomes a bit different. So yeah, but I didn't really go to Japan to seek the Dharma. Uh, it just happened to kind of work out that way. I'd already been practicing Buddhism for probably ten years before I went to Japan with an American teacher whose name is Tim McCarthy.
1: Mm-hmm. So, did, so you f- yeah. did you find um, a different experience of the Dharma there than you than you have here? I mean, do you think in the future the West is going to be informing? the East more on Zen? I mean, it seems like we are incorporating, uh, you know, there are new strains of, of Buddhism popping up or whatever in the West. What's your take on that?
2: It, it could happen. Um, I know I, I've been kind of fascinated by the Hare Krishna movement uh, for a long time, always looking at what they're doing. And I've noticed that in India now, a lot of people are joining the Hare Krishna movement. Although, if you're Hare Krishna, you'll tell people that the Hare Krishna movement is an Indian religion, but we all know that's not really exactly true. An Indian guy came over from India and started it in America, but it became a very American and Western thing. Uh, and now it's being re-imported, although it's, it's originally Indian. I don't see that happening right now so much in Japan. Uh, what's interesting in Japan, though, is... Uh, like the group of people who would go to see my teacher, Nishijima Sensei, when you looked at that group, all of the Japanese people were almost 100% people over 50, uh, sometimes over 60, sometimes over 70, generally older people. And all of the foreign students were well under 40. Uh, it was probably one of the oldest among that group. Uh, and I'm 43, but, you know, I started uh, when I was in my late, well, no, no, in my late 20s, I guess. Wow, it's been a while. Anyway, um, but so so there is this view in Japan that uh, Buddhism is something that old folks do. Uh, and Zazen is something either old folks do or people who are slightly fanatic do. Um It's not something that normal people do. Normal people don't sit zazen, except on special occasions, if they're really sort of committed to something. Uh, They might do it during certain times a year, but it's it's pretty rare. So yeah, it may find its way back uh, to Japan in the form of being something that Western people are doing, just normal people are doing. And so maybe that might catch on. I don't know. I haven't seen it really happening. It may, it may happen.
1: You know, it's interesting too, when you see a Japanese person sit zazen for the first time, they really (laughs) do sit practically stone still. I mean, I don't know if it's culturally built in, like a discipline ethic or what, but, um, but then if you talk to a Japanese person immediately after it's, same experiences it seems like as you know americans have like my mind was just totally discursive or my thoughts were everywhere so
2: yeah yeah i mean there's this there's this view that gets put out a lot of uh the idea that western people aren't equipped to do zen practice or any kind of meditative practice and the eastern people somehow are are more equipped but that's not true everybody has just as hard a time as it as anybody else but uh I think there's a cultural kind of understanding of what's expected of you at a Buddhist temple. And I think uh, Japanese people may, I mean they're seeing on TV seeing, You know, there's always these, you've seen them these TV documentaries about buddhist temples in japan in which people are getting smacked you know and shouted at all the time which you know does happen but they really tend to emphasize that on their on their tv and when i see those it's 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 funny it's like they don't the the general japanese person doesn't have any better idea of what zen is than anybody over here does except that the culture is sort of steeped in it which which is interesting but it's the same way our culture is steeped in in judeo-christian stuff um we even even if we're not christian we say god bless you after somebody sneezes and so on we we do these things that we don't even notice and we have these attitudes we don't even notice it's the same over there
0: this has been a presentation of buddhistgeeks.com copyright 2007 Music in this podcast provided by Sea for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.seaforchaos.com.
3: Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference. Hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun, from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners